Hello and welcome to the latest We Are Guernsey podcast. For those of you who don't know, Guernsey is a leading global finance centre of substance, stability and security committed to the cause of green and sustainable finance. My name's Rosie Alsop. I'm Communications Director here at We Are Guernsey, the brand under which Guernsey Finance promotes the island of Guernsey's specialist financial services sector in its respective chosen markets. Today's podcast forms part of a series that's leading us up to the Guernsey Funds Forum 2021. It's titled Building Tomorrow, and the forum will explore the question of how to create a better future. The event promises to provide insightful discussion around current trends, including the view of policymakers and experts from across the financial services spectrum. I am delighted to introduce my guest today. It's David Crossland. David's a partner at Carey Olson, and he's here to discuss the latest trends relating to Guernsey funds. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rosie. Well, before we start, I thought it might be helpful for listeners uh, to learn a little bit more about you and your backstory. Sure. Uh, so I am a... I'm a partner at Kerry Olson uh, in the corporate practice here in Guernsey. Um, I have spent my life, it seems, going backwards and forwards from Guernsey to London and back again. Uh, I was born in London, moved to Guernsey when I was fairly young, moved back to London for a time, moved back to Guernsey. And, um, and ever since I've been back in Guernsey, I've been going back and forth to London uh, several times a year. But um, on one of those stints in London, I did all my training and qualified as a um, as a lawyer in the private funds practice at Clifford Chance, um, which at the time was one of the one of the two tier one funds practices in London. Um, there, I was really focusing on advising um, uh, private fund managers in the launch, primarily of private equity funds with some alternative assets in there as well. I've been very lucky since moving back to the island. Um, in 2007 to continue that so that's continues to be the focus for my practice um and to be honest most of what we do at at Kerry Olson as well that's great thank you so let's start with some numbers the June quarter investment statistics released by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission shows that net asset values of Guernsey funds now stand at 318 billion that's a 20 percent year-on-year growth um, do you have any comment on those statistics and maybe why Guernsey's doing so well as a funds domicile? I mean, if anything, I think those numbers are probably slightly understated. I say slightly. What they don't, what they only reflect is the the assets that are contained in our regulated fund structures. Um, what they don't include, of course, is the um, the huge amounts of capital that now appear in unregulated investment holding structures and whether those are for private investors or whether they are co-investment vehicles or single investor mandate vehicles um, which can contain huge sums I mean that the, the I wouldn't be surprised if in aggregate they were north of 100 billion um, on the island so, I mean we've got several of them we've seen even this year that have been over a billion in size so I'd say if anything those numbers are slightly understated and you know if you are looking at comparisons with other jurisdictions, other jurisdictions will include those other ve- other vehicles that we don't within their numbers. So, actually, that number understates, if anything. Um, and 
you know, why are we doing so well? Well, the, the truth is that for the last 25 years, perhaps Guernsey's been fairly specialised in its um, servicing of particularly private alternative asset vehicles. Um, and, you know, globally, we've just seen in the last few years a massive uh, growth in the appetite of investors to put money into those strategies. So, you know, we've seen huge amounts of money flowing into that sector generally. And, uh, you know, as they say, a rising tide lifts all boats and, and Guernsey's certainly benefited from that. Um, you know, we can talk a bit more later about specific reasons why Guernsey's in particular is so popular, but I'd say it's important to understand that there is this, you know, global groundswell behind that move. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thanks for putting that into context. So turning to the fundraising environment at present, we've seen Guernsey facilitating a number of managers during lockdown. Do you think the trend's continuing or are there new managers entering the market post-pandemic and with the travel restrictions now starting to ease? I think what we saw in lockdown was surprising, um, but perhaps not that surprising when you think with some uh, you think back in in history, particularly to the financial crisis. So um, after the financial crisis, a lot of investors, uh, you know, they were very worried about liquidity and they were very worried about investing into funds that generally are illiquid and lock your money up for a, a long period of time. Um, and we saw a collective pause, if you like, in fundraising in 2008, 2009. Some funds were getting away, but it was generally seen as a very tough time for fundraising. Those funds that, that did get away proved to be some of the best performing funds there have ever been. You know, they were buying assets at a low point in the cycle um, and making huge amounts for their investors that, that held their nerve and continued to deploy capital in that environment. Um, I think this time around, there was, a, there was definitely a brief pause, but it was a matter of weeks. Um, and as much as anything, I think it was... It was a pause as a result of both managers and investors adjusting from an environment where you could, you know, go on a roadshow, um, press the flash and, and see investors face to face without any difficulty um, to one where it was all having to be done digit digitally or virtually. Um, but the, you know, there was no seeming let up in the appetite for the asset class. So we didn't seem to say pullback from investors. Um, you know, some timelines got, got pushed out a bit, but ultimately everybody everybody raised. And we saw some very significant fundraisers take, pla take place almost entirely um, virtually. Um, so, yeah, so we, we've seen, you know, that the fundraising market at the moment continues to be very strong for good quality managers um, of all different sizes. And as I think we're going to come on to a bit later, uh, what we've what we've been really pleased about in the last couple of years is a sort of re-emergence of those first-time managers, uh, people who perhaps have worked in, in larger houses have decided to spin out and do it for themselves. That's always been a cornerstone of, of um, uh, Guernsey's client base, you know, a hugely important one. Um, it was such a good jurisdiction if you're setting up a new fund for the first time. Um, and that's what we've seen be a continuing trend. And, and we were worried when the pandemic hit, you know, with those managers, you know, we've all found it's quite easy to 
keep in touch with people that you've already known. So if you're a manager, that's investors you already know. But it's quite difficult to make new friends over a Zoom call. Um, so we were worried that, you know, first time managers, how are they going to fare, you know, going out and raising money for the first time? Well, seemingly um, not bad at all. Um, you know, we launched Queen's Park Equity, um, their first fund in the teeth of the uh, first lockdown um, back in 2020. Um, and they raised, um, in fact, they exceeded their hard cap for their first fund, raising, uh, I think it was about 175 million pounds, um, uh, almost entirely virtually, you know, over Zoom calls and data rooms and the like. So, yeah, it was um, it was worrying for a time, but um, the island ended up being busier than ever, I think, last year. That's really good to hear. I know what you mean. There was a, a few weeks where everybody just seemed to pause and hold their breath. And then everyone seems to have adapted to this uh, to this different environment incredibly quickly. So let's talk about size. Um, globally, we're seeing deals getting bigger. Is that something that you and your colleagues at Kerry Olson have seen for Guernsey funds as well? Yeah, so, so I think at the top end of the market, just general inflation, um, and also that you know the sizes of funds have been getting bigger. Um, as I say, there's this huge appetite amongst investors to put money into the asset class. So if you as a manager can deploy more capital, um, then you've done very well. And generally, we've seen our larger clients. And by larger clients, I mean those raising larger funds, the mega buyout funds have raised bigger funds. You know, they've added two, three, four billion euros sometimes to the top of their um, of their fund caps. And of course, with bigger funds comes bigger deals. Um, plus, there's more competition in the market, not only from other big funds, but also from trade buyers and the like. So, yes, we've seen we've seen bigger deals being done. We've seen a re-emergence of of funds doing syndicated deals, co-investing alongside each other. Um, and, and another thing that's been really positive for Guernsey as a as a servicing jurisdiction is. Um, the huge growth in co-investment. So, you know, funds that will that will stump up the first X percent of a deal um, and then they will offer their investors another slice of the same deal if they put extra money in. And those, you know, those deals then are quite heavily structured and negotiated. Um, and we've got a lot of experience of, of looking after those. So, yes, I would say we've definitely seen <clears throat> bigger deals um, but at the same time, we still do an awful lot of, you know, pretty modest sized stuff, you know, because of because of Guernsey's experience and, and cost efficiency, um, it's generally suitable for um, anybody raising a first time fund to do small deals right up to, you know, the mega funds that are going to have dozens and dozens of vehicles to look after. So. So, yeah, I would say we've seen bigger deals, but it's not it's not all we do. That's good to know. So Guernsey has, we were talking about this a minute ago, um, excelled in innovation. Are you seeing more innovative structures being used in Guernsey? Um, and if so, can you give me an example? Um, the problem with excelling in innovation, as you put it, is that you're tending to um, look at new things all the time. So you don't always know that something is innovative until somebody you know some third party tells you it is later yeah. or yeah, that sounds like a funny thing to say but we've <laughs> no. actually won awards for some of our deals for innovation that we didn't even know 
we rented for because we didn't think of it in those terms because we're constantly talking to you know clients about about what they want to do we're very solutions focused so um i would say you know in innovation we see we see new managers with new innovative fund strategies so whether that's in um the sustainability space or whether that's in the crypto space um or whether it's in, you know, innovative ways of, um, you know, providing services to fairly vanilla traditional uh, funds and structures. So, for example, we worked with Northern Trust and Unigestion when they introduced the world's first um, blockchain solution for fund administration. So that was very innovative. But for us, that's kind of part of our day-to-day job. So we don't always see it in those terms. Um, and I guess we're seeing a constant um, clients are, and their their advisors in London are constantly um, adapting to new legal and regulatory demands elsewhere that you know that they are subject to. So we see a lot of our stuff. You know, Guernsey's very very flexible jurisdiction. It's designed to be. Um, we have a very intelligent, open minded regulator who understands what they need to do to protect investors. Um, but doesn't have a straight jacket on and says you can only do it this way or that way. You know, they're focused on the outcome, not on the on the way that you get there. So I think all of those ingredients mean that we're constantly doing new things um, all the time. And I'd say now more than ever, it's necessary to have that flexibility and that that way of thinking that allows you to do new things. Yeah, I would very much agree. And and just being slightly ahead of the curve um, in many different areas. So, so far, David, we've covered a lot about the highlights that we've seen in Guernsey this year. But I want to ask you, um, in your view, what makes Guernsey such an attractive jurisdiction for funds? It's, uh, well, it's a big question. And there's, there's, there's lots of different layers to it. Um, I think you've got to have some basics if you're going to be a funds jurisdiction if you're going to set out your shop as a funds jurisdiction which Guernsey did as i said 25 maybe even more years ago you know they really focused on this market you need to have some basics in place um and and the rest then follows from that but you first of all you need to have um structures structures legal structures legal forms that people are familiar with uh that they're comfortable with that they are um, fit for purpose. So, you know, we've seen recently in the last couple of years, um, you know, jurisdictions, say like Ireland or Hong Kong, introduce limited partnerships legislation. You know, we, we introduced a, or even in the UK, in fact, a couple of years ago, they introduced this concept of a private fund limited partnership. You know, we had our equivalent in 1995, um, so we've been, you know, we've had those structures in place for a long time. Um, the other thing you need to have is, uh, you know, so, so, so you can set up your fund or your vehicles. You've got the, ve- you know, you've got all the vehicles you might possibly need, and we're constantly introducing new ones. You know, we have not only do we have vehicles that other people don't yet have in terms of our, you know, PCCs and ICCs, cellular companies, which we're seeing very popular at the moment. But we're also introducing new ones. So, you know, LLPs were recent. LLCs are coming soon, which were the, you know, which are modelled really on the US model um, 
to be designed uh, or to be attractive to US clients. Um, so we've got those building blocks in place. And then you need, I think you need um, to have experience as a jurisdiction. So as I say, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, and we've got an ecosystem on the island of service providers who are very, very used to dealing with uh, private funds and the associated assets that they invest into. Um, so, you know, you think about the number of people, the number of administrators, the number of audit firms, the number of law firms, just the sheer number of people who are doing this day in, day out on the island and have been doing it for their whole careers. Um, that, you know, that ecosystem, we hear quite often, we've had funds come to us or even move to us from other jurisdictions because we get it. You know, we understand the industry. We've been long supporters of the industry. Um, so, so I think you need to have those, those two things. Um, what follows from that, you need to have, it's no good having the best fund structure in the world, with the best service providers, if you can't go and sell it. So you need to have market access. And there's two parts of that. One is regulatory. Well, Guernsey's on, has long had a policy of being on every whitelist it possibly can. And to be honest, you know, sometimes in the past, it's held us back or not held us back, but we have lost business to lower cost, lower regulated, frankly, lower quality jurisdictions because they were just cheaper and easier. They didn't have the same standards that we did. I think now actually our focus on regulation and going for those whitelists is really paying off. The world has turned. Investors are worried about um, reputation. They're worried about whitelists. They don't want to be invested into a fund that's on a blacklist or a grey list, which we see some of our competitive jurisdictions on at the moment and are suffering for it. So you need to have that, those regulatory sort of stamp of approval. Um, we also have fantastic um, relationships with our European counterparts. So, you know, the, the private placement routes into many markets um, are available for us. And where those jurisdictions we're seeing recently have started to increase their standards um, and their requirements for accessing their markets, Guernsey is very, very able to meet those. And we have a regulator who we'll talk about um, in a minute who's just fantastically um, cooperative and has a great partnership with those regulators. Um, and then you just, you need to have, so that's the sort of regulatory side. And then you need to have um, recognition in the market. So people out there need to um, think, well, I'm going into a Guernsey fund. That's just, that's a box ticked. I understand the jurisdiction, you know, it's very strong. It's very stable, has, um, incredible respect for the rule of law. Um, so we know that investing into those funds will be easy for us. We don't have to do any research. We, you know, nobody's trying to do anything new. So we, we have those benefits, which come from the fact that we've been doing this for, as I keep coming back to you, 25 to 30 years, since really the birth of the industry in Europe. Um, so you've got all of those sort of ingredients and then you get some soft stuff that comes in. It's the fact like, okay, a lot of the funds um, uh, market in Europe certainly is based in or advised from or run out of London or the UK or near European, Western European countries. Um, you know, we're an English speaking jurisdiction. 
from a time zone perspective, we're on the same as London, so there's no differences there. And from an international perspective, we sit neatly in the middle. You know, we have Australian fund clients who have a lot of US investors and they have Guernsey funds. So it's a very, we sit in the middle um, between those two time zones and it's very convenient for people. Um, and we are 35 minutes away from London, flight time. Um, very, very easy for clients to come and visit. You know, we're not in some of our jurisdictions are 10, 12 hour flight times away. Um, so it's just, it, you know, if you think from an operational perspective, it's just very convenient there. So I, I told you it was a big, a big question with a, with a mm. long answer, with lots of different la layers. Um, but hopefully that gives it, you a flavour. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you, if you had to summarise it, you could say that Guernsey is a bit of a Goldilocks jurisdiction, really. It's just right in, in many different areas. So um, I wanted to go back to what you were saying about the regulatory uh, environment and the um, the open mindedness of our regulator um, and the role that they have uh, and, and what your experience has been when dealing with the GFSC. Yeah, I mean, they are, we <laughs> the GFSC is fantastic in my eyes. Um, we talk about them being open minded. Really, I don't want to. I don't want to make out like they're they're anything other than. Um, a proper prudent regulator oh, really very focused on the protection of investors. You know, they have statutory mandate, which they take very seriously. Um, what I would, what their real strength is, is that they understand our industries. So they understand the private funds market. They understand structures. Um, they understand that our funds are primarily targeted at heavily advised um professional investors um so uh, they also understand about um things that are important to those clients like speed to market um you know the ability to have vehicles in place in a timely way um you know to allow them to be marketed to these investors and they understand that this as an industry um, is very innovative. So new structures, new asset classes, new ways of doing business. Um, they've proven themselves to be adaptable. So they're not rigid in their thinking. They understand that, um, you know, that, that there's only, there's only business for them, but it's better that business be in Guernsey regulated by them than not come to Guernsey at all because they won't even talk about it or think about it. So that's where I see them. So our relationship with them has just been so positive over the years because um, we're always very straight with them. We're always very proper in our dealings, but we always then get a good reception in return. They will talk to us. They will tell us where what we're proposing or what a client is proposing is outside of their uh, risk appetite. But at the same time, you know, they will often work with us to allay the concerns that they have. And I think that has to be one of the benefits if you're a small jurisdiction like us, um, is a regulator that you can talk to like that. So often, you know, we will have conversations with people in London or Luxembourg or wherever where our rules really aren't that different to the rules that are in place with the FCA, um, 
uh, or the European regulators. But because we can actually talk to our regulator, have a dialogue with them, uh, both sides can get to a place where they're happy. And that avenue is just not open to those people. So, yeah, they've been a huge part of our success. Absolutely. Uh, it's great to hear you say that in that open and honest dialogue. Um, now, anybody who's been uh, involved in financial services uh, uh, can't have failed to see the latest investment megatrend, uh, which has been ESG and sustainable finance. And in Guernsey, we're very, very proud to be a global leader in sustainable finance initiatives. Um, one of those was the flagship initiative, the Guernsey Green Fund, which, for those of you who don't know, is the world's first regulated green fund regime. David, can you uh, talk us through that a little bit and some of the funds that have received the kite mark? Yeah, sure. I mean, I thought this was a fantastic idea. I'm, I'm slightly surprised that we were first because it seems so obvious in hindsight, like all good ideas, I suppose. Um, so what the Green Fund is, it is... Essentially, any fund can opt to be a green fund. And if you do make that election and you want to qualify uh, and have the, the kite mark, if you like, then your fund has to be invested um, in line with a set of principles that are not Guernsey invented or GFSC derived. Um, they have been uh, formulated by a group of uh, DFIs and global um, multinational institutions like the World Bank, EBRD, you know, the African Bank for Development. Um, so they set forward a, uh, a set of criteria, effectively, or a set of asset classes um, uh, or objectives that you could invest into and to be considered sustainable. Um, it's a live list. So as new uh, taxonomies are developed over time, like we know that the EU is doing at the moment, then um, they will be added or can be added to that uh, criteria. And really what it does is it, it offers a protection against greenwashing. Every fund now is saying, oh, you know, we operate in a sustainable way. You know, all of our investments have ESG at their heart and what have you. I think it's very difficult for investors to see uh, the wood, you know, the wood for the trees. So that they're they're just being bombarded with all these sound bites, and they don't actually know the truth. So I think having a, a vehicle and a regime which actually offers a certification as against and a constant assessment against those criteria is going to be really valuable. Um, you know, we're seeing it now. Investors are having to come up with their own reporting metrics to try and understand what it is that a manager is doing and their investments are doing. Um, you know, we're seeing new initiatives all the time. I think having a regulatory standard is, is going to be really helpful. Yeah. Um, in terms of the funds that have, have taken advantage, well, it, it's, it's been interesting. It's evolving over time. For some, you know, they, they fell into it before it was even invented. If you've got a fund that invests in solar energy, for example, the generation of solar energy, I mean, it's, it's a fairly... You, it'll surprise no one to hear that they fall squarely within the um, the protocols we're talking about. So they are. We've had a few of those elect to become uh, take the green fund designation, and some funds, frankly, who who some existing funds who who invested in very similar things have chosen not to because they felt that they didn't. Their investors didn't need that um, 
additional certification to get them comfortable because they, you know, they had their own process in place. Um, so what we're seeing now is, is some really interesting ones. Um, one which I can't name, I don't think, we're still in the process of fundraising, but they're, they're about halfway along, uh, which is a effectively a food tech fund. So it's investing in meat substitutes. Um, you know, the principles behind it have a very successful track record in investing in things like Beyond Meat, you know, these sort of plant-based synthetic meats, um, which are going to, which we're seeing as a huge growth um, area generally out in society and which this fund is really going to um, um, seek to target investments in that asset class. They have gone for the Green Fund designation. It's, that's a really interesting use of the, of the, uh, the designation. So we're seeing new and interesting ones all the time. It's really exciting. That's great. Now, um, the EU's introduced sustainable finance disclosure rules and the Financial Stability Board's created the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosure. Do you think um, requirements to disclose have an impact on Guernsey funds? And have you seen firms preparing for those disclosures? Uh, yes and yes. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, so much global regulation will impact on our Guernsey funds um, indirectly. So quite often now, if you want to, you know, for example, the EU's SFDR will apply to Guernsey funds when they are marketing into the EU, like a lot of our funds do. So, um, yes, of course, they will have an impact. What do we see clients preparing? Well, clients, clients are frankly reacting at the moment a lot of these things are very new they're trying to understand um what it is that they have to report firstly whether they're caught then whether they have to report and then lastly it's like well how do we get the information out of our portfolio companies um to be able to provide those disclosures um you know what is it we can do that's palatable to us and then at the same time you've got investor groups we saw one last week. Um, there's a the consortium of big investors led by uh, and, and managers led by Carlisle, I think, um, who are trying to come up with a sort of single standardized um, reporting format for investors. So, frankly, um, clients are just reacting at the moment. They are trying to um, uh, they're trying to deal with all of these competing uh, regulations and investor demands for more reporting on the subject, which can only be a good thing. But at the moment, it's just sopping up huge amounts of um, manage management time. Yeah, very much so. Everyone's just sort of casting around, seeing what, what the, the best thing to do is. So finally, David, what's your outlook for the fund industry here in Guernsey? Uh, honestly, it's uh, I'm more positive now than I have been for a number of years. Um, Why? Uh, and of course, I would say that. Well, I think I think we've seen, you know, a few years ago, there was a trend um, for investors were looking to seek to streamline the number of relationships um, that they had with external managers. So, you know, you have to understand that a lot of these big institutional investors, they're only investing a very small proportion of their overall portfolios in in the sort of alternative asset funds that Guernsey loves and specializes in, you know, maybe less than 10%. So if you think about the, the teams that those investors focusing on this were really small and they're often quite complex and negotiated deals. 
So just in order to save their own sanity, um, a lot of them were seeking to minimize the number of relationships they had to have. So for those managers that could offer the ability to deploy very large sums of capital, so the very large funds, um, they did very well. They were very attractive. And we saw um, sort of consolidation, if you like, into those larger managers who went from being single product monoline private equity providers say all of a sudden they've become multi-strategy asset managers so they launched credit businesses real estate businesses um uh clo businesses um all sorts of offshoots and they'd hire in teams um to do that so that was great if you were one of those managers and it was also great if you had a relationship with one of those managers and you looked after or you know the structures for one of those managers and we had plenty of those don't get me wrong but what that was doing in the market generally was squeezing out those emerging managers the first timers um that guernsey loves um to have come through its door and really is such a fantastic jurisdiction for so you know we you, you go you, you speak to people locally and um you know, everybody does the dance and says, yeah, I'm really busy. Are you busy? Yeah, I'm really busy. And then you get that question time and again, well, how much new, new stuff are you doing? How much new, new stuff? And, it, and the true answer was not that much because there wasn't that much around in the industry generally. This wasn't just a Guernsey thing. Um, so a few years ago, you know, we were, we were, we were doing well and we were growing but we were growing, doing more and more business for a smaller number of clients. What, what we've seen in the last few years, just the that sheer weight of um, interest in the asset classes and, and the proliferation of um, asset classes has meant that you know investors now are realizing they can't just focus all on these mega fund managers, which are, you know, they're still doing incredibly well, but to generate alpha, like true alpha, um, you know, they need to put some money into new, innovative first-time managers. And there's been loads of research out as well, which actually shows that first and second-time funds in the smaller and medium-sized space generally outperform later vintage funds. So you need to be putting money into first-time managers. So that's been very helpful. Um, so we've seen an emergence in the last few years of first-time managers often based in London. And as I say, Guernsey is such a fantastic jurisdiction for them that, that we're a well-regulated, respected jurisdiction, but the financial barriers to entry, like the, the friction costs are, are relatively low and very low against some of our um, big European competitors. So um, the other thing we've seen, which is getting a bit techie, but you know, we've seen a, a proliferation of um, structures and you no longer have you won't have a fund that only has a single vehicle anymore you'll have a whole bunch of parallel vehicles they'll have some co-investment vehicles there'll be financing coming in all sorts of innovative structures that we're very well placed to deal with um and that is definitely an important part of uh, my optimism going forward that's great to hear and uh, you know long may that optimism continue that's all we have time for today i'm afraid i would like to thank my guest david crossland and i'd also like to thank you for tuning into the podcast if you'd like to find out more about guernsey's fund sector you can attend our annual guernsey funds forum event 
Uh, it takes place this year on the 29th of November in London. And you can find out more about that, including how you can join us through our website, weareguernsey.com. You can also find everything there from the latest news to informative literature. We've also got a catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the We Are Guernsey podcast channel, and you can discover why we are a leading centre of green and sustainable finance via our sister podcast, the Guernsey Green Finance Podcast, which was recently rated in the top 10 most useful green podcasts by the Green Finance Guide. You can check them both out by searching for them wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think Guernsey is the jurisdiction for you, you can find Guernsey-based fund service providers in the business directory on our website or by contacting a member of our business development team. Finally, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can get in touch with us uh, on Twitter at We Are Guernsey. We'll have links to David alongside Carrie Olson's social media in the show notes. So check those out to hear more from them. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another edition of the We Are Guernsey podcast. But for now, it's goodbye from Guernsey.